Nearby, shepherds were living in the fields, guarding their sheep at night. The Lord's angels stood before them. The Lord's glory shone around them, and they were terrified. The angel said, don't be afraid. Look, I bring good news to you, wonderful, joyful news for all people. Your Savior is born today in David's city. He is Christ the Lord. This is a sign for you. You will find a newborn baby wrapped snugly and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great assembly of the heavenly forces was with the angel praising God. They said, Glory to God in heaven and on earth peace among those whom he favors. When the angels returned to heaven, the shepherds said to each other, Let's go right now to Bethlehem and see what's happened. Let's confirm what the Lord has revealed to us. They went quickly and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in the manger. When they saw this, they reported what they had been told about this child. Everyone who heard it was amazed at what the shepherds told them. Mary committed these things to memory and considered them carefully. The shepherds returned home, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen. Everything happened just as they had been told. Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs. I still haven't worked out when exactly to introduce myself in this new format here. But here I am still. I'm your lead pastor at South. And we've come to the time of our teaching. Um, in this season of Advent, that is the four Sundays leading up to Christmas, we're focusing on the announcements surrounding Jesus's birth. And in this story, uh, we have another really profound announcement that is radical and wild and politically charged that has been rendered totally hallmark worthy uh, by our culture, right? Peace, peace and goodwill to men, right? Now in this story, we've got shepherds who are working the night shift, right? They're with their field, or they're in the field with their sheep, making sure that everything's kosher, right? Then we've got an angel coming to make an announcement to them. An angel of the Lord stood before them, and they were terrified. This is on theme with last week. Maybe angels are scary. <laughs> but they say, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. This is kind of a pre-announcement, prerequisite for like understanding any of the good news of God. Like, excise that fear from your body so that you can receive something true and profound. Because fear is going to prevent you from really internalizing this. So like, take a deep breath. Do not fear. <sighs> Expel that fear from your body. And now we can receive a word. The angel say, says, good news of great joy for all the people. And goes on to describe that in the city of David, there's this huge star. Uh, and that's announcing a savior, a liberator, the Messiah, the Lord. And that they're going to go there and find this baby wrapped in cloth in a manger. 
And then you've got the, the host, like this whole big crew comes behind the angels and just amplifies this announcement. Glory to God. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Peace on earth uh, among those whom he favors. Which is kind of a weird way of phrasing it. In our culture, we tend to translate that into English, preferring to say, uh, peace on earth, goodwill to men. I've... I've been convinced by scholars that actually a more appropriate translation would be peace on earth to men of goodwill or among men of goodwill, which is interesting because it's, uh, it, it becomes less of a pronouncement then and more of, of uh, an observation, right? There is peace among people who are of goodwill, this will become important later when we're trying to understand the source of our peace. But the, the angels say, there's peace among men of goodwill. There is peace among people who are kind, who are ready. And it's, you know, this is, this is our like holiday background static, right? Peace on earth, goodwill to men. Now, if I told you that there was somebody offering a celebration and describing it as saying, we're gonna celebrate the birthday of the God who has marked the beginning of the good news through him for the world. Who do you think I'm talking about? It's a real question. Jesus, right? Often safe answer in church, shout it out, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus, that sounds like Jesus. The birthday of the God has marked the beginning of the good news through him for the world, Jesus obviously. Except this is, is uh, an, an inscription, an announcement that comes before the birth of Jesus, describing the birth of Caesar Augustus. That is the exact language <laughs> describing the birth of the imperial ruler of Rome. Now, uh, he was, his name was Octavian. He was adopted, the adopted nephew of uh, Julius Caesar, and he was called Caesar Augustus. That name that he was given once he was like declared to be the new ruler means one who is divine in Latin. He was also called in Greek Sebastos, meaning one who is to be worshiped. The decrees that were made about Augustus, talking about his birth, were called good tidings, gospels, evangelion, good news. The word savior in Latin is soter. You might recognize that from the names Antiochus soter or Ptolemy soter, the rulers of Syria and Egypt. And in the Greek inscriptions about Augustus, they always said soter tua Sympantos Cosmo, Cosmo, Savior of the whole world. Now, if this is news to you, you might be thinking, wow, Jesus really ripped off Caesar. <laughs> like, why is this? Was Caesar actually like some sort of divine figure? Absolutely not. In fact, the language we use for Jesus and the language that the angels are using for Jesus is not just like quietly trying to plagiarize the Roman Empire. It is very blatantly and patently like 
giving the middle finger to the Roman Empire. The announcement of the birth of Jesus as the savior of the world, as the one who comes to bring the good news, announced in this like full, wild, royal announcement in the skies, is a parody, is a parody of empire. And what we can notice is the things that are the same and the things that are different. So for instance, Jesus is called here the Prince of Peace. At that time, they were in the midst of something that was to be celebrated as the Pax Romana. The Pax Romana brought on by Caesar Augustus. It was sometimes, it was so associated with him that it was sometimes called the Pax Augusta. Pax meaning peace in Latin. The Roman peace. The peace brought to you by Caesar Augustus. A divine providence brought wars to an end. All peace was in the land because of these imperial rulers, which must mean that they were sent by God to bring peace. Right? And there was this royal religion, this imperial religion that worshipped the imperial rulers for bringing peace, the Pax Romana. And if that had been true, if there truly had been peace, that would have been very remarkable. But peace in the Roman Empire, a lack of war in the Roman Empire, isn't exactly what we think of when we think of peace. There were actually many, 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 many rebellions under the imperial rule of Rome. But Rome had such a large, such a resource, such a violent military force that those rebellions were quickly quashed with slaughter. The Pax Romana. There is no war There is no war because no one has enough power to fight back. There is no war because no amount of resistance can overcome the war machine. The Pax Romana was a peace by domination. The Pax Romana was a peace by eliminating rebellion. The Pax Romana was a peace of enforced compliance through unending violence. This is occupation. This is peace by the standards of empire and the world. This kind of peace where there is no war means that no one is safe except those committing violence. Now contrast this with the announcement using some of that same language saying, hey, you want the son of God? We'll use that same fanfare. We've got good news, but we're not bringing it with the military. Our horns, our trumpets are not preceding war horses. Our announcement is not going to the wealthy, to the rich, to the powerful, to the elite. Our announcement comes to the shepherds in the fields. Now, who were these shepherds? They're like the cutest part of any nativity, right? But again, we have become so accustomed to this imagery that we've, we've often lost our sense of its radical nature. Shepherds were lowly, which is a nice Bible word we like to use, the lowly, that really romanticizes 
you know, poverty and marginalization. But that's what it really means. Shepherds were marginalized. Shepherds were poor. Shepherds were often young people. I think of a modern equivalent, shepherds being teenagers in food service, right? It is a wholly necessary, utterly thankless, often humiliating job done by vulnerable people who lead full and wonderful lives despite their circumstances. The context of these shepherds was that they were living under occupation. These were poor, rural, young people living under the occupation of Rome whereby any resistance to empire patterned with the language of worship and and divinity, any resistance to that would be met with immediate slaughter. In this particular moment, they were subject to a census, which meant that their movements were controlled, that they were going to be counted, which feels like crap, and that they were doing so so that the empire could assess how much to extract from them in taxes. There was rebellion around this. There was lots of tax rebellion in that time. But again, no wars because they were so quickly crushed with violence, with state violence. But here they were in the middle of the night, the shepherds and their sheep. Have you ever had to pass time at a really boring job? It helps if you have great coworkers. It's a nightmare if you have bad coworkers. But I think about all the hours that I have spent passing time at work. I think about the stories that have been told, the games of paper football I've always lost. I think about trying to look busy when there's really nothing to do. I think about other types of labor. I think about the hours that I've spent doing really boring, simple, mundane things in the work of organizing. I remember sitting for hours and hours at the border in a Mexican town called Agua Prieta. And I was there with No More Deaths, which is an organization um, working to end the deaths at the border due to the violence of border border patrol. You see, empire has told us that the way to be safe in this country is to build a wall. The way to be safe in this country, to have peace in this country, is to keep anyone out who isn't in already. And to do so with barbed wire and armed guards and drowning rivers that people are pushed back into. And so I was there with an organization trying to fight against that, trying to find a true peace. No more deaths. It was just a simple, (laughs) we didn't get flashy with the title, right? No more deaths at the border. That was the goal. Peace. Peace by a different standard. But much of that work was, in that moment and time, hanging out. We were hanging out on the Mexican side of the border with resources, with food and water and medical supplies. And we were waiting because the border patrol, the empire, was constantly rounding vulnerable people up in the desert. It didn't matter where they had come from. 
If they were found on the U.S. side of the border in the desert, they would be loaded up into buses and dumped on the Mexican side of the border in Agua Prieta, Mexico. Good luck. And so part of No More Deaths was meeting people at the border, greeting them, asking them what their needs were, trying to help people get situated and resourced and healed. But a lot of that work was sitting around, waiting. There were kids who would come by our little, our little front, like office front and hang out. I was there with another volunteer named Yolanda. Yolanda went by Yoli, which the kids thought was hilarious because they said, Yoli? Como Yoli Rancher? <laughs> we found Jolly Ranchers for us all to snack on and had a good laugh. But we would hang out. We would work on our Spanish because Yolanda and my Spanish was not very good. And we would play Uno with the kids. We passed hours and hours that way. And then all of a sudden would come a flood of people. In that moment of crisis, we were reminded why we were there and the violence that brought us into that place. We would mobilize, we would rush to meet people, to check in with their needs, to let them know that we were there to help. And that would feel really like that crisis, that violence of empire crushing in on us. And yet, in those moments in between, even with the busloads of people, when we were bandaging people's feet and hydrating folks and getting people meals, there were always moments of joy and laughter, of connection and safety, of peace. There was a kind of peace with us, among us, a peace that we could grow together in those moments, a peace that was so threatened by the violence of empire, but that once we were gathered with one another, meeting one another's needs, we could tend like a small fire again to build it, to grow it. This feeling of peace held, shared, protected between us. And so when I think of the shepherds in the field, I imagine the kind of peace that comes with connection and creativity and boredom. The kind of mundane life lived together. What games were they playing to pass the time? What stories? What peace was alive among them that the Pax Romana could never know? The angels came to them to say there will be this peace all across the earth. Do not be afraid because at some point the Roman Empire will no longer be able to violate your peace. We will grow it. This is good news of great joy to all the people. And that phrase, the people, is a Lucan device. This is the author of this text, is using this device that he uses often a shorthand for a particular kind of people. All the people meant the people like when we say the people's revolution. The people meant common folks. It was by contrast to the religious authorities, the elites, the military, the people in power. This is good news for the people. This is bad news for Rome. But this good news for the people is that the peace that you know, the peace that the empire cannot know because it is too afraid. Your peace is good news and it is coming for all the people. 
in the city of David, a liberator, a liberator is coming, a child, absolutely vulnerable, not a general, a child. And in the skies, the whole heavenly host is there saying glory to God and peace, peace on earth among people of goodwill. Peace on earth among the people. This is where peace begins. This is the kingdom alive and at work. One commenter, Fitzmaier, says, the angel's message to the shepherds stands in this whole episode in contrast to the edict of Caesar Augustus to the whole world. The essential message is that in God's providence, a child is born who is to become for human history, for human history, a savior, Messiah, and Lord. Born in the time of Pax Augusta and in the town of David, the Palestinian shepherds are invited to recognize him as a cause of great joy for them and for the people. This peace stands in such deep contrast to the Pax Romana, to the peace of empire, that it shook the empire to the core. When King Herod heard the news, his reaction was one of extraordinary violence. We will get to that. When we think of peace, our culture likes to portray it as sort of a calm absence of tension. But what do we know about peace? What have our modern prophets told us about peace? King famously preached that true peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. And what is camaraderie and joy and ease among mutual beloveds, if not justice? When we talk of injustice, it is the things that violate that simple life together. That simple sense of safety, peace, joy, connection. That is what we are protecting when we fight for justice, when we fight for peace. We don't fight in the streets because we want to be in the fight. We fight in the streets because we deserve the life that God has intended for us, a life of peace. The fight is so that we can live at ease with one another, together. When we talk about abolition, we also talk about presence. Ruth Wilson Gilmore has said abolition is not about pre- is, abolition is about presence, not absence. When we seek to abolish prisons, policing, surveillance, we don't want nothing in their place. It makes me think of the scriptures. <laughs> Jesus says, if you cast out a demon and leave nothing there, seven more will come to fill that space. Instead, we are called to fill ourselves with the Holy Spirit. A presence connects us. A presence protects us. It is the presence of peace, of relationship, of righteousness, which is right relationship, that provides a just life, a just community. Abolishing empire, abolishing systems of power and domination is not about absence. It is about building and protecting our peace, growing it so that there is no room for domination. There is no room for slaughter. There is no need for violence in a community at peace. 
We are called to grow our peace, to protect our peace, to build our peace in contrast to the violence of a terrified, trembling empire. They want us to be afraid like they are afraid so that we will subject ourselves and one another to their violence. But we won't do that. Some of you know that the Republican National Convention is coming here in the summer. The RNC will be in Milwaukee in the summer, and a lot of us are feeling that fear already. Now, the fear comes from a lot of different directions. The police department in this city has already gotten all kinds of permissions to up their violence, to decrease their accountability, to turn off their cameras, because they're afraid. They want us to be afraid, and they will give us violent reasons to be afraid. There are lots of great, incredible organizers who will be in the streets, who will be demonstrating, who will be right up in the mix to make sure that truth is spoken, that people are defended. And yet, in addition to those street protests, we need alternatives too. Because if abolition is about presence and not absence, if we are building life-affirming institutions, as Ruth Wilson Gilmore calls, if we are growing our peace, we, not, we need to not only challenge the systems of empire, but grow and protect the peace of our community. To build that peace, we need to, as Ray from our justice team has said, facilitate joy and connection and creativity in every corner of the city, especially during that time of political strife. The justice team at Zao here is dreaming right now of what to do during the week of the RNC. And the notes that I was provided say, we wanna gather people together, people, organizations, communities, to throw the largest block party Milwaukee has ever seen. We wanna turn Humboldt Park Hill into a giant water slide. We want to kick back at Lindsay Park and barbecue with our families and share food with one another. We want to host a citywide kickball tournament. We want to organize a river cleanup with a pizza party afterward. Let's slow down. Let's connect, care for one another, keep each other safe, and have fun. Now, these may seem like mundane things to do in the face of imperial slaughter, but they are just as important as standing in the streets, as marching, as shouting in the streets, which is also, as we know here, incredibly important. Because we need to challenge violence and grow our peace. The kingdom is built through life-affirming connection. Righteousness is a water slide in the park. Righteousness is places for people to be unafraid. Righteousness is uno before the border patrol gets there. We need to protect one another. We need to build a kind of peace that is worth living for, is worth fighting for. If you're interested in being a part of this plan, connect with the justice team here. You can stick around for the community meal today and Ray and other members of the team will be around to talk about it. Next week, we're gonna have um, uh, a holiday card writing um, event with Black and Pink um, and justice folks will be there. And if you'd like to mark your calendars for an organizing meeting, the team is gonna meet after church on Sunday, January 7th to dream and scheme of what it means to build peace here in this community. 
That peace stands in sharp contrast against the false peace of empire. Because the peace of empire always costs lives. How many lives? Does it matter? I remember coming of age and being told what it means to protect our freedom while my government was bombing people in Iraq and Afghanistan, saying, well, they hate your freedom. This is the only way to protect you. And they tried to instill a fear in all of us that the only way we would be safe, the only way we would have peace, is to slaughter innocents all over the world. In Germany, Nazis rose to power by saying, we will never be safe until the threat is killed. Now the threats were myriad. They were queer people, they were communists, and mostly they were Jews. The Holocaust was an act of Nazi campaigns for peace. The empire then said to the Jewish victims of the Holocaust, you will never be safe until you have your own land with border walls and a powerful military. We will supply you with the weapons of violence to keep yourselves safe. But you'll need to colonize that land first, and there are people there. This resulted in the 1948 Nakba, which didn't just displace, but brought with it the horrific violence of domination, subjugation, and colonization to the people of Israel and Palestine. The trauma that Palestinians experienced at the hands of an imperial force in the 1948 Nakba is difficult to even hear described aloud. And that trauma has been passed on in stories and families and generations. Both the trauma of being victims of that violence among Palestinians and the violence of being perpetrators passed along generations of militants who were tasked with, with murdering folks in the Israeli Defense Forces. In the wake of all that violence, Hamas leadership has said that Palestinians will never be, be safe until the threat is gone. And in their telling, the threat is Jews. Meanwhile, Israel, as a nation, as a government, tells Jews that they will never be safe until the threat is gone. Have you seen the hashtag, till it's done? Now, empire calls that threat Hamas, while defining Hamas extremely loosely, any man, often characterized as boys, eight, to nine and up, is considered a potential Hamas fighter. And even in the midst of all of this war against Hamas, so far, 8,000 children have been killed in the name of peace and safety. You may have heard folks say that Jesus was an immigrant and a refugee. But I think not a lot of us know why we say that. 
there's something in the scriptures called the massacre of the innocents. We know the Magi, the mystics who came from the East because they heard, they discerned, they prophesied a liberator coming for all the people. They followed the star and they ended up in Jerusalem. They looked for the royalty because that's where they thought a liberator would come from. And they asked King Herod, where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and we've come to pay him homage. And Herod's like, oh, the new king, huh? I'm the king. So he said, oh yeah, I wanna pay him homage too. Let's find him where he is. And so they started studying the prophecies and the stars, and they said, Bethlehem. King Herod pretended to be on board. Oh yeah, I super also want to honor the next king of the Jews. It's going to be king after I'm currently king of the Jews. Go find him and then let me know, and I'd love to come pay him homage. The Magi went. They met Jesus. And Mary and Joseph, vulnerable, poor, working class people in rural Palestine. And they had another prophecy in a dream that said, don't go back to the seats of power. And so they went by an alternate route home and they did not tell Herod where Jesus was because they knew that Herod was going to kill him. But that threat to power was looming so hard over Herod, the terror in his body of what might happen if he was not the one in charge of military, in charge of the violence and domination. He decided that threat had to be eliminated at all costs, and so he ordered the execution of all male children two years and younger in and around Bethlehem. Mary and Joseph got word of this divinely, and so they fled from Palestine to Egypt as refugees to save their baby from imperial slaughter. Empire will always tell us that the way towards peace is violence. But Jesus teaches that peace is already alive among us, that it needs to be protected, not bombed into existence. Peace, like the kingdom, is here and now as well as coming. We can think about it expanding. We can think about cultivating it. We can think about honoring and protecting it. The promise of war is that after we kill all the bad people, never mind the innocents we have to kill to make sure we got the bad ones, then we can build peace from scratch. Empire will never be satisfied until everyone is dead. Until it's done. Peace is here among us, among the people. But it needs tending and cultivation. It needs protection. And peace will always come from below, not from power above. When the angels say peace, they don't mean looking away from violence. When the angels say peace, they do not mean border walls. When the angels say peace, they do not mean peace like Pax Romana. They mean peace like Uno in Agua Prieta. They mean peace like free Palestine. 
They mean peace like solidarity. They mean peace like liberation for all. They mean peace like mundane life together, not under threat of imperial violence. There is an organization across Palestine and Israel called the Parents Club. And it is made up of parents who have lost their children to violence of empire. Rami Elhanan and Bassam Aramin are the co-directors and they've both lost young daughters, one of them Palestinian, the other Israeli. And they advocate for peace. But as we talked about a few weeks ago, peace on the ground, peace from below is not peace of a two-state solution, of separation of border walls, of this empire and that empire and protection through violence and military might. Their vision on the ground is to live in peace together. Rami has said and will say again and again, we have to choose whether to share this land or to share the graveyard under it. Peace is about relationships of mutuality, not domination, fear, and might. Safety comes from trust, not bombs. And this is why the announcement of peace will never come from the war criminals who rule our empires. True peace, the prince of peace, will come from the lowly, a vulnerable child in Palestine, fleeing for safety to Egypt under the threat of imperial violence and promising in the midst of all of that, there is a peace here alive in each of us that we can cultivate, that we can protect, that we can build a world, a kingdom out of. A peace of the people. Glory be to God. Will you pray with me? God, your peace surpasses all understanding for reasons that we don't ever get to talk about. God, may your peace be beyond the logic of empire. May your peace grow and build in mundane moments of life together. May we protect one another so that the peace of our lives can take center stage, so that the peace of the people is what defines our community. God, protect us, and may we protect one another from the violence, from the terror, from the fear of war criminals and empire and the lies associated with military and border walls, and you'll be safe whens. God, may your peace come alive in us. May we be agents of peace in the world, and may we recognize the true Prince of Peace where we see him, in and among your people. Amen.